Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will continue looking at verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, We only looked at the first part of it in the last one where we said that there is a command to live differently, and we looked at the grammatical nature of the command, and then we examined the verb a little bit, and then we noticed that there's only two groups that the Scripture recognizes, the saved and the unsaved, and yet uh, there is um, a mention of a, a subgroup, if you will, but it falls under that larger category. So as we continue this discussion, uh, talking about the idea that we have a duty to live according to the gospel, not only is there a command to live differently, but now we are going to spend a good deal of time looking at what uh, it is that we've been saved from, because we are now going to see that the unsaved live very differently, and that's the way we used to live, and it's good for us to be able to identify how they live so that we can purposely begin to set ourselves apart from that by the power of God, by the grace that he gives us and the strength and the power that he gives us daily to do that through the scripture. And so we're now going to look at this idea that the unsaved have an unregenerate mind. Uh, Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then we're looking at this last phrase here that shall take us in to verses 18 and 19 as well, in the futility of their minds. So the unsaved have an unregenerate mind. Let's look at this phrase, futility of, of their minds. This is attached to the Gentiles' present walk of life. This is how they go through this world. And since we are not to walk as they do now, and we're not to live our lives and order our lives that way, uh, how do they order their lives? Well, it says that they do this in the futility of their mind. It could be translated this way as the emptiness or vanity uh, with regard to their understanding or reasoning. Now, we're not saying that they don't have the ability to reason or you know do any of those things at all, but when it comes to the saved uh, and it comes to the things of the Lord, these are spiritually discerned. Paul will actually spend a great deal of time talking about that when he uh, addresses the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, he talks about that and he says that things that are spiritual uh, are pure as foolishness to the unsaved mind. Okay, so we're talking about the mind, the unregenerate's mind with regard to their ability to discern spiritual things. And when it comes to spiritual things, that part of their mind is empty. That part of their mind is just vain. Um, one commentator, Wood, uh, takes this word futility to mean good-for-nothing notions. So we could say this, a mind that has not been touched by the Spirit of God cannot fathom or accept the wisdom of God. So that is what it means in a futility of their minds. 
But now let's go on and look at it a little bit more. In verse 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So now a second aspect of the unregenerate mind is not just futility, not just a broad encompassing generalization with regard to what they can do, but now we're going to look at uh, an active aspect of that not just a general statement, but it says that they are darkened in their understanding. Paul says to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. While Romans talks about a darkened heart that corresponds to their futile thinking, here Paul says that it is their minds that are darkened. The transformation is not an outward one only, or even outward first, but the transformation that comes with salvation takes place in the mind. This shows that the striving to make one's life conform to some outward system of religiosity and set of rules is complete and utter foolishness. So people who are trying to um, really reform themselves and transform themselves, maybe you've heard somebody say, or maybe you've thought this, that you're not ready to move forward with God until you get your life together. And some people say they don't want to come to church until they start living a little bit better. Listen, that's, that's not going to happen. They've got it completely backwards. And if someone says that, uh, perhaps this would be a good place to sit down and take them to in Scripture, because it's just foolishness to think that they could do that when their very nature in their mind, in, in the unregenerate state, not only are they dead in their trespasses and sins spiritually, but their mind is absolutely darkened. What good does it do to maintain a list of do's and don'ts on the outside where only men can see, but on the inside, in your mind where God alone can see, you walk in a perpetual fog incapable of perceiving the divine light of God? That's really the question in view here. Now, what's also interesting is this usage of dark, because dark is the opposite of lightness, and Scripture uses dark and light quite a bit. In fact, go to John's epistles and see that coming up all over the place. But Jesus even addressed the topic when he said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in what? <laughs> in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we see these two opposites here, the opposite extremes, and we see that darkness is not a state where we want to be with regard to the true light, which is Jesus Christ. So their very minds have been darkened. So not only are they futile, empty, incapable of processing anything spiritual, but their very mind, the way they process things, the way they think about things, and this would be with regard to the way they think about spiritual things right, is completely darkened, is alien from who Christ is. And that's really what he goes on to say uh, in the next phrase, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So that's a third aspect of the unregenerate mind, futility in their minds, darkened in their understanding, which is now characterizes this alienated from the life of God. So to be alienated is to be cut off. 
This goes back to Ephesians 2, verse 12, where Paul reminds them to, quote, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Jewish people are groping for God, as it were. They still have a problem in that they do not acknowledge Jesus for who he is, so that doesn't earn them any points. But the reality is that those who boast about being apart from God and living the life of God are completely cut off, and they want to be. From the standpoint of one whose eyes have been opened, we might ask ourselves why this would be the case. Why would anyone want to be cut off from God knowing what we know about the gospel and eternity is revealed through God's living and infallible word? And so that brings us now to a further in-depth discussion of this life of alienation from God. And that is, first of all, a starting point. Uh, We have to consider where people have started because of the ignorance that is in them, right? Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That's the starting point. Ignorance comes from the word for knowledge, but with a negative prefix. So this is like, instead of knowledge, it's no knowledge. That's what ignorance means. This is defined in its primary sense as lacking information about something. This is ignorance concerning God's word, but it's something that they revel in. So why is that? Well, this comes from or is due to their hardening of their heart or the hardness of their heart. This is the state of their heart. Okay, They steeled their hearts against the truth until they grew altogether impervious to its impact. Uh, hardening describes the state of petrification. That's uh, turning something into stone. It's used medically to denote the callus formed when a bone has been fractured and reset. Such a callus is even harder than the bone itself. And this dreadful uh, cirrhosis has, a, has affected the very hearts of the pagans. Their whole personality is incapable of appreciating what God offers. Okay, so this is another aspect of dealing with their spiritual uh, deadness, <laughs> that, that state. And so that's where this ignorance comes from. It comes from a hardness of their heart, and this hardness of their heart leads to a clouded mind. And then we see not only a starting point of ignorance, but a continual hardening. It says here, due to the hardness of their heart, but verse 19 talks about a continuation of that hardening. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, so they have become, first of all, callous. The word here means to lose all sensitivity or feeling. By the way, that's not a good thing. People who have calloused hearts and uh, hardened and seared consciences can inflict the worst torture on another person without emotion. I don't know about you, but sometimes you hear about somebody doing something awful. You wonder, how could you sit by and, and do that while somebody's screaming out in pain? Calloused husbands can say the cruelest things to their wives, knowing that, uh, that their words cause hurt. And they know that it will do that and they feel nothing. It's the continual building up of callousness that produces the dictatorial tyrants of the world who are capable of slaughtering millions of people without a care in the world. This is what it is to become callous. 
The ability to feel pain, whether that be emotional or physical pain, is actually a gift from God in this sin-cursed world. Sometimes we ought to stop and think about that. People who cannot feel physical pain, while we might be tempted to think of this as a superpower, are actually more prone to serious injury because the pain tells us when to stop. So what happens when your heart of stone becomes harder? What happens when you work hard to stifle or silence the conscience that God has given you and to try and reprogram it? What about when you shut out the convicting of the Spirit of God through the Word that is presented to you by your friends or once long ago at church? Well, then the things that should bother you no longer do. And this is where we find a lot of people. This is really the condition of a lot of the unsaved world. And so this continuation of hardening, we see that they have become callous. And then once they do that, then that leads to another step of depravity and degradation, if you will, that leads to them giving themselves up to certain sins. And they list two here, sensuality. This uh, keeps in with the thought that is developed for us in Romans chapter 1, if we compare this with Romans 1.24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we have this sensuality, this perversion of sexual order and the whole order of things within God's creation. And then we have a second aspect, and that's this, that they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, This could be rendered as an immoderate, inordinate desire. It means the determination to gratify self-interest at all costs, regardless of the rights and susceptibilities of others. The New International Version combines both possibilities, and it says, with a continual lust for more. And uh, we, we really see that. And, and that leads us to an interesting conclusion. Once we get really down this rabbit hole and, and we're led there by the Holy Spirit through the, the quill, the pen of Paul, if you will, you almost might be tempted to think, how could anybody be saved? <laughs> and, and that's the point. And he really led us into that doctrinal discussion back in Ephesians 2 as he reveled in the gospel because he said we were dead. I mean, you know, if you didn't have that reaction when we went through Ephesians 2, hopefully you have it now and can go back to that. But it's really amazing that somebody who's dead could ever respond to anything. And so it shouldn't be any surprise that the person who is dead spiritually is darkened in their mind, is calloused in their heart, is giving themselves up to every kind of impurity and to sensuality and totally set apart and alienated from God. That shouldn't come as a surprise. But what he's saying is this is the life that they live, and now you used to live that, and now you don't. And so where we pause for application then is to say, well, if that's not me, praise the Lord, and why isn't it me? Well, it's certainly not because of anything I've done, right? That's, he covered that in Ephesians 2. So if, if there's been a transformation, all of that transformation has taken place at the hand of God. 
But from a very practical standpoint, he's also saying that even though you are saved out of that and you are no longer a slave to sin and death, you still have those things warring at you. That's that struggle that we see in Romans chapter seven. And so we have to have this admonition. We need to be aware of the spiritual autopsy of the dead person, you know, who's dead in Christ so that we can know that these things tug at us. And it's, it was the natural, comfortable thing that we always walked in and that everyone around us walks in. And yet we are called to not follow the lusts of our flesh. God has now given us the power to break away from that. All praise be to him. So that was an in-depth discussion into the unregenerate mind that the unsaved presently have and that we used to have. And we'll end there, but that means in our next episode, there's hope, right? We're not going to just leave off and, and Paul doesn't end his letter there. Uh, we're, there's hope because the gospel changes everything and the gospel changes the very nature of of a person. And that's what he's going to go into in verses 20 to 24. And that's where we'll pick it up next time. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.